0: If you've got your Bible and you want to follow along, you can turn to Genesis 19. We'll finish up that chapter today, verses 27 to 38. Genesis chapter 19, verses 27 to 38, and the title is, You Can Take Lot Out of Sodom. And of course, the other end of that is, but you can't take Sodom out of, out of Lot. So, um, on June 5th of 1976, I was only 13 years old, so I don't really re- remember this. It was a, a Saturday. Uh, it was a day. It was a very clear day. There was no storms. There was no earthquakes or any kind of disasters or anything like that. The uh, the Teton Dam in Idaho uh, on the Snake River collapsed. And uh, I don't know if how many of y'all might, might remember that. Uh, it ended up killing 11 people. It killed about 13,000 people. Uh, cattle on that day. Uh, the damage it destroyed a lot of homes and property. I think the damage was around uh, $2 billion after it was all said and um, done. Now, on that Saturday morning, and I don't know how well y'all can see these pictures, uh it all started about 7.30 a.m., and somebody noticed a little leak in the dam, and it was just a little leak. It wasn't very big at all. Engineers weren't concerned about it. But about two hours later... It had turned into that. Uh, you can see the circle is the water coming out. The, the red arrow is pointing to a bulldozer. So that shows you the size of that dam. That's a bulldozer going down the dam to try to uh, repair the hole. So it starts at 7.30. By 9.30, you've got that. By 11.15, you've got that. They had to start rescuing. The, the hole started swallowing up the bulldozers. They had to throw ropes and rescue some of the guys out of the, out of the hole that where the bulldozers were. They, by 11.15, this is not even four hours later, they've sent out a... Uh, they told sheriff's deputies, you need to start evacuating people uh, downstream. Uh, by noon, the top of the dam collapsed. You got that. And by 8 o'clock that night, r- roughly 12 hours later, the whole reservoir has emptied. And it all happens in, in 12 hours. Now, it, it seemed, when you think about from 7.30 in the morning to 8 o'clock at night, or, or really even from 7.30 to 12, it seemed to have happened very, very quickly, but in fact, it didn't happen quickly at all. What they what they realized is that underneath the waterline, hidden way down deep in that dam, was a fault, was a little leak that had been gradually weakening that dam for weeks and, and possibly even uh, even months. So so it seemed to have happened very quickly, but in fact, it didn't happen very quickly at all. It started with just a, a tiny bit of erosion way, way, way down deep inside that dam. And, and it was something nobody could see. People went to went to work on the dam every day. People raised their cattle, sent their kids off to school, uh, worked on their house, went to bed at night. And, and this thing, nobody knew it was there. Nobody was getting hurt, right? But at the end, when the, on that Saturday, everybody saw the big collapse and everybody... Uh, or not everybody, but a lot of people got hurt by it. Now, here's here's why I bring all this up, because the story of Lot is a lot like that dam. It, it starts with just a little bit of erosion way down deep inside of him, and and it's little sins in his life, and they're not taken care of, they're not dealt with, they're they're allowed to go unchecked for years and years and years and years. Nobody can see them. Nobody knows they're there. Nobody is getting hurt by them. It's, it's not causing widespread damage. They're not major sins. He's not committing murder. He's not a, an adulterer. He's not a, a drunkard or a, 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 a addicted to drugs or uh, whatever kind of big sins we want to list. It's just little things. But what they're doing is they're steadily eroding his moral character. They're working on him down deep inside... And, and it, it's like a cancer that just eats and eats and eats and eats until finally you get here to chapter 19 and it just collapses. And, and what happens here is in, in chapter 19 is, is, is people are going to get hurt, not just in his family, but for years and years and years to come. Okay, So it just kind of falls apart here, but it didn't start here. This isn't just some one mistake he made. This has been going on for a long time leading up to this final uh, collapse. Now, let's take a quick review. Uh, If you go back into 19, we looked at it last week. The angels have literally dragged, and when I say literally dragged, they've literally taken them by the arm and drugged them out of Sodom, uh, Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And at Lot's request, this little city called Zoar... Is spared because he doesn't want to go up into the hills. He doesn't want to go away from the valley. He wants to stay there. And so they spare this little city called Zoar so that Lot and his family can go there. Now, as we know, in direct disobedience to the angel, Lot's wife looks back and she is killed. So at the end, out of that whole city, in fact, out of all the cities of the valley, because there's more than just Sodom, only three people, Lot and his two daughters, Are spared, and we pick up our story there in verse 27. Now, unusually, I won't say unusually, but but in a kind of an odd thing, in verse 27, the Bible is is talking about Lot, it's talking about Sodom, and then it stops and it switches very quickly back to Abraham. Look at verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before. The Lord. Now, remember, at this part of the story, only a day has passed. Yesterday, Abraham is, is talking to to the to the uh, to the Lord and the two angels. Right? I mean, that just happened yesterday, and the two angels have left to go down into the valley. And so, early the next morning, Abraham gets up and he goes back to that place where they could look over into the valley, and he goes back. Now, again, this had just happened the day before. So he's going back there not to pray. He's not going to pray again. What he's going back there is to see how the Lord is going to answer his prayer. See, so this is no casual. A lot of times you and I pray, and then maybe we lay our head down and say, well, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. It is what it is. God's God's. It's God's will. But see, Abraham's got this attitude. After he prays, he goes back to see, okay, let's see what's going to happen. Right, So this is no casual, whatever may come, may come. He has genuine concern over the outcome. Look at verse 28 and 29. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham, and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived." Now, these verses show us the real reason that Lot was spared. It is Abraham's faithfulness, not Lot's, that results in his deliverance. James 5.16 in the New Testament says, "...the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much." And that was proved out with with Abraham. Let's be really honest. Humanly speaking, there's not a lot of reason to save Lot, is there? He's not some giant of the faith. In fact... He is a weak, pathetic, sorry excuse for a believer. He causes more problems than he he solves. Yet Abraham is concerned over his fate, and Abraham prays for him. And the Bible tells us God remembered Abraham's plea. God remembered Abraham's request, and that's why he led Lot out of that city. Now, let's turn back to Lot and his daughters. Verse 30... (laughs) Now Lot went up out of Zoar. Now sometime at this point, sometime has passed. Lot has gone into the city, and now he's gone out of the city. He's left there. Now we don't know if it's the next day. We don't know if it's the next week, if it's a month. We don't know, but we know sometime has passed. Now Lot went up out of Zoar, and he lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters daughters. Now that, of course, begs the question, why was he scared? What was in Zoar that he was afraid of? Why was he afraid? It was his request to live there. He asked the angels to spare the city. So what is he now scared of? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he was afraid of retaliation. He was the only one that escaped and was led out of the city. Maybe he was afraid that uh, the, the people in Zoar would blame him. Maybe he was afraid of future judgment. The probability is that Zoar was just as evil as Sodom. It was just a little city, but it was, it, I'm sure they were just as pagan and, and practiced some of the same things as, as Sodom did. Maybe he's thinking, man, if I stay here, eventually this city's gonna be judged as well. Or, or maybe, maybe, just maybe, it was reflection. Maybe he had time to really understand that being in Sodom had caused a whole lot of his problems. Living in Sodom had cost him his wealth and his prosperity. It had cost him his wife. Maybe he thinks, if I stay in Zoar, all I've got left is these two daughters. If I stay here, maybe I'll lose them. So, And you remember, the angels had told him, man, go to the hills, if you want to be safe, go to the hills. They told him that in verse 17. So maybe he remembers that, and his safety and the safety of his daughters become primary in his thoughts, and he thinks, well, if I'm going to be safe, I've got to get out of this city and go to the hills. For whatever reason, he's afraid, and so he goes up into the hills, and he lives in a a cave. Maybe he determined, you know what? I just need to get away from all of this. I need to get away from the world. I need to get away from their wickedness. I need to get away from this, this city. But here's one nagging question that gnaws at me when I read this. And I don't think the Bible never mentions this and the Bible never says anything about this. But here's the question that I just bothers me to know in. Why didn't he go back to Abraham? Why didn't he go back to live with Uncle Abraham? You see, if he would have went back to Abraham, there would have been support. There would have been encouragement. There would have been... Fellowship. His uncle loves him, by the way, didn't he? I mean, the whole prayer over Sodom and Gomorrah is, is about Lot. His uncle loves him. So he had everything he needed was with Abraham. Support, encouragement, protection, uh, you know, prosperity. He could have begun to, 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 to grow prosperous again. By the way, if, if, if there was also the great likelihood that if he went back to Abraham, he could have found husbands for his daughters. His daughters would have been protected. Everything he needed was with Abraham. And by the way, his prosperity is not a problem anymore, right? You remember years before, they split because they were both too wealthy. They had too many cows and sheep and camels and not enough land to graze, so they split. Listen, Lot ain't got nothing. Everything he's got is gone. Everything he's got's been destroyed. So his prosperity is not an issue keeping them apart. Also, if he if he wants to get out of the city, by the way, Abraham is up in the hills. Abraham's out of the city, right? So, so everything that Lot wants and everything that Lot needs in his life can be found with Abraham, but he won't go there. Now, why not? Why will he not go there? Well, to be honest with you, when I think about it, there's really only one reason, and that is he just cannot face his uncle. He, he felt so ashamed of what he'd become. From this prosperous man and all of this to nothing, having absolutely nothing. And he just could not fess up. He just could not acknowledge his mistakes. He could not face the shame. So instead of going back to Abraham, where everything he needs is... He goes up in the hills the opposite way and he lives in a cave. Now, I don't know the reasons, like I said, but for whatever the reason, he could have gotten what he needed with Abraham. But instead of doing that, he goes out on his own. He figures, I'm going to go live in this cave and I'll be safe there, away from the wickedness, away from the city. I don't have to face Abraham. But let me tell you, monasticism has never been a solution to materialism. And seclusion is no substitute for sanctification. Listen, changing location doesn't change your heart. How many people think, I'm going to go to a new city, a new place, and I'm going to start over, and they take the same baggage that's inside of them and they just carry it with them, and they go to the new place. See, you can take Lot out of Sodom, but you can't take Sodom out of Lot because it's still in him. His heart has still got issues and problems, and he's just going to take them where he goes. And as I said, at this point in life he's always been a weak believer. He's always been a worldly believer. But at this point in his life he is a he is passive. He is pathetic. I mean he has just come to the point where he is a he's he's terrible. And by the way, if you take a weak, passive believer and you put them in a place where they have no encouragement and accountability, that is a recipe for disaster. Let me say that again. You take a weak, pathetic believer and you take them to a place where they have no encouragement and no accountability, you've got a mess on your hands. I know somebody right now in my life who is a weak, passive believer and they moved to a place where they do not have any accountability and they've just gone downhill. They need to be surrounded by other brothers in Christ who will hold them accountable and instead they separated themselves. And what they've got now is a disaster on their hands, which is the same thing that happened with Lot. Look at verse 31. So they're in this cave with their father. Now, this is, this is really sad. You're gonna, I think we're going to learn a few things here this morning. But first thing I want you to notice is how sad this is. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Now, the first thing, he is in such bad shape. He is so passive. He should be the leader of his home. He should be protecting his daughters. He should be making decisions. And it's so bad that his daughters feel the need to step up and take control. That's how bad he is. I mean, I want you to think about him just living in this cave. He's not. I mean, I could just see him not bathing. He's just giving up. He's not making decisions. He's just secluded himself with his daughters. And his daughters just think, we've got to do something. And this is as bad as it gets. And so they have to step into the void left by their father because he won't do anything. He's passive, he's weak, he's, he's pathetic. And so the firstborn says to the younger, hey, our father's old, there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Now, I want you to see something. To Lot's daughters, this cave thing, they don't see this as a temporary thing. They they don't see it as a just a shelter for for a little while. I believe it became evident to them that their their father is in such bad he's not going to do nothing. This this is permanent to him. Notice he doesn't. You know Abraham's living in a tent, but Lot doesn't even have it in him to get a tent. Right? He's in a cave. I mean he has just lost all motivation. He's probably depressed. I, I'm sure he would be. That would be natural, wouldn't it? By the way. I say it all the time, I'll say it again. Technology changes, cultures change, people don't change. You're a human being, the same kind of human being, the same fears and depressions and things that we're, we're prone to, Lot was. There's no different. And so I believe it became evident to them that Lot now saw this as home. He's got no intention of leaving. And, and I want you to notice one of their biggest worries is the death of their father. He says, our father is old. You see, in that day, women depended completely upon, upon the men in their life. They depended upon their husbands, their fathers, or their brothers. If, if you took a man away from a woman in that day, she was completely defenseless, completely defenseless. She would have to go to begging or prostitution or something like that. So at this point in their life, all they've got is their father. And, and, and so they're thinking, man, he's getting old. we got to do something. In addition, they also understood that it fell to them to carry on the family. Now, as we said earlier, listen, Abraham's on the other side of the valley. Abraham's rich. Abraham's got a bunch of people around him. There's men over there, right? If they would have just gone to Abraham, they could have found husbands for themselves. They could have found protection. But I want you to notice for these two girls in this cave there are no other options in fact and i don't it's this is hard i think for us to understand in their mind their options were limited look at the statement again that they made there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth now listen that's not true is it are they the last three people on earth no that's that's not a true statement it's an exaggeration but in their mind That's how bad it was. Are you with me? See, their perception is wrong. But see, when we allow ourselves to sink deeper and deeper and we let our mind take over, we begin to think thoughts that are not right. But yet those thoughts drive us to make decisions we should never make. That's exactly what's going on. this This is a gross exaggeration of their situation. There are men out there. But to them, there's not a man on earth. It's, it's down to us. You see how their thinking is wrong. And bad thinking like that leads to bad decisions. And that's exactly what it did. It brings them to an added error of thinking that they're going to have to... We're going to somehow have to do something unusual to preserve the line of our father. Look at verses 33 to 36. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father... He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Now, I want you to notice, they get him drunk, and the Bible says very clearly, he doesn't know when she came in, he doesn't know when she left. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, "'Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father.' So they made their father drink wine that night also." And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. Now, somebody asked me a question last week about this, and and, and I told him I'd explain this. Who's to blame for this? Who is to blame for this sordid, incestuous, nasty, repulsive? thing that just la- the Bible just lays out right on its pages by the way let me tell you something the the Bible it, it, don't ever if the Bible was a fairy tale if the Bible was made up by men it would never show this kind of stuff never it, it would never do that but the Bible is so real it just lays it all out there I mean it just even its heroes even its righteous men Lot was a righteous man it says It just lays it. And and just these kind of stories just always drive me back to the fact that, man, the Bible is true. It doesn't hold anything back, whether we like it or not. So who is to blame for this this affair? Well, a lot of people want to blame it on the daughters because they say, well, you know, Lot didn't know what they were doing. And that's true. that He did not know. But I will tell you that Lot's failure in that cave, this is Lot's problem. This is Lot's much more than most of us would like to admit. Here, here's what I want you to see. I want you to understand. His daughters are not these promiscuous two women that just sleep with anything that moves. In fact, his daughters are virgins. You remember in Genesis 19:8 that it said that they don't know. They've never known a man. So it isn't like they've been in Sodom for all this time, just sleeping with every man that comes. No, they're virgins. So they didn't learn how to sin in Sodom. They didn't come into that cave as these as these promiscuous girls. That, that, that's not who they were. See, the problem in that cave was not Sodom. The problem in that cave was Lot. You see, his daughters are simply doing what they've seen their father do. They're simply acting in a way that they've seen their father act. Remember... <clears throat> They stood inside that house that night in Sodom when the two angels came into the city. They stood inside that house, they were behind that door, and they heard their father say these words, Genesis 19:8. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and you just rape them as you see fit. Basically is what he was saying. See, Lot remember on that night he had to protect those two angels. And so what he did is he said, here, I'll give you my daughters. They've not known any man. They're good girls. Take them. Do with them what you want to. In other words, on that night, and we talked about this last week, Lot always practiced expedient morality. In other words, his morality sometimes had to be sacrificed to practicality. You remember that? We talked about that last week. I want to bring something up today. How many of y'all know who Lauren Daigle is? Lauren, in fact, Kathy and I were listening to her this morning, coming in. And um, Lauren Daigle sings some songs. We sing them in this church. You say I am love. You know, y'all know that song, You Say? She is a beautiful woman, got a wonderful voice, great personality, great songs. And she's so good. I mean, she is so talented that the world has started taking notice of her. And in fact, just in, back in October, November, she was invited to appear on some talk shows. She appeared on the Jimmy Kimmel live show and sang one of her songs on there. And then she was invited to appear on the Ellen show. Now, most of you know the Ellen show, the host of that show, Ellen DeGeneres, is openly gay. Everybody, everybody know about her and that show. So she appears on that show, and by the way... I have no problem with that. I know a lot of people had a problem with it. But if you want to go on a show and stand up and sing the gospel, God bless you. God bless you. Just don't hold back. Present the gospel. Praise Jesus. I don't care where you do it. Just make sure you do it. I got no problem with that. But a lot of people had a real problem that she would go and and do that. And so because of that, she was recently asking an interview a very loaded question for her. Do you feel that homosexuality is a sin? And this is her answer. I can't honestly answer that. In a sense, I have too many people that I love that are homosexual. I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. I'm not God. So when people ask questions like that, I just say, read the Bible and find out for yourself. And when you find out, let me know because I'm learning too. Now, I, I really like Lauren Daigle. And let me tell you, that's her, how she answers that question is her business. That's between her and God. I'm not putting her down. I'm I'm just, what I'm telling you is this, okay? She her her career is going like this. It's on the rise, big time. And if she answers that question the wrong way, guess what's going to happen? It's in the toilet, to be quite honest with you. So, what does she do? She sacrifices morality to practicality. Are you with me? I, I'm, again, I'm not condemning her. By the way, everybody in this room has done it from time to time. Don't don't point at her and say, oh, I'd never do that. Sure you would. Imagine the 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 pressure she's under. I'm not excusing it. I'm not condemning. I, I'm just saying that's her walk and her life. Let her deal with that. She's a great girl. I'm not... I'm not saying, are you with me? I don't, I'm not trying to make this about her. What I'm telling you is, even today, there will always be situations where you're going to be pressed to sacrifice morality to practicality. We said it last week, everybody's against abortion until it's your daughter. Everybody's against homosexuality until it's your son. Then all of a sudden, it's easy to set that aside and begin to make excuses. Right? It's a pressure we all feel. Lot felt it. Lot felt it that night in that house. Do I? How do I protect these angels? Well, I'll give them my daughters. I'll stop one evil by giving in to another. You see, Lot's daughters learned that from their father. They learned that sometimes you get in situations and you know the right thing to do. But you have to set that aside because it's an emergency. You have to set that aside because practicality says, man, I just, there's no way I can say that. There's no way I can do that. You see, remember, go back to their thoughts. There's not another man out there to come into us and give us children. That wasn't true, but that was their mindset. And as soon as they saw that as an emergency in their mind, then, then incest could be set aside. Because now we've got a, a situation here. Everybody with me? See, that's what let's not that they're these sinful, promiscuous girls. It's that in their mind, mentally, they saw this as an emergency. They saw this as a situation we've got to be dealt with somewhere or the other. And let's just set aside our morality and go and deal with it. And by the way, you put that squarely on Lot. That's Lot. They didn't learn that in Sodom, they learned that from their daddy. Now, here's a warning for us, folks. As fathers, and mothers too, but especially as fathers, there's probably not a father in this room, a grandfather in this room, who's not greatly concerned about the world in which our children are growing up in. Listen, you know, when I was growing up, I always heard old people say, you know, it it was a lot worse today than it was with them. And I thought, well, you know, but now it is. I mean, it's a lot worse today... (laughs) Than it was with me. And I was in the 80s. I, I mean, it's not like I was in the 50s or the 40s, but it's a lot worse today. But let me tell you, don't ever think you can save your children by taking them to a cave. Let me tell you, you can, you can homeschool your children. You can put them in private school. You can do all these things, but the fact is your children are most greatly influenced by you. It's not the school. It's not the culture. It's you. So you can take them in a cave, see the problem in that cave was lot. The problem had always been lot. The things they were seeing in their father, the, the 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 I mean he never stood strong, the passiveness, the weakness, the pathetic Christianity they lived, they were brought up in that. That was their problem. It wasn't Sodom. So you and I should be mindful of that. How important a father's role is in the family and in the in the morality of their children cannot be overstated don't think well I can just divorce myself from this and I'll just put them in a private school we'll just homeschool them I'll insulate them from all that culture and I can just live my life the way I want to live it and they'll be fine no no they're watching you just like they were watching Lot now let's look real quickly at the long term results of Lot's life look at verse 37 and 38 The firstborn bore a son, called his name Moab, which means from father. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son, called his name Ben-Ami, which means son of my people. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Now, the two sons that came out of that incestuous affair grew up to be the fathers of two nations. And God, over time, down throughout the centuries, he would deal kindly and he would show mercy to the Moabites and the Ammonites just because of their relationship to Abraham and Lot. For example, Deuteronomy 2.19 says this, And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them, do not contend with them or fight with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession because I've given it to the sons of Lot. So even down throughout history, when the Israelites are coming out and and they're going to go battle Against the, and take over the land of Canaan, God said, leave that land alone. That, that's the descendants of Lot. So God would deal mercifully with these people. But the fact is, these two nations would be a thorn in Israel's side for centuries to come. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, said this, Moab and Ammon were destined to provide the worst carnal seduction in the history of Israel, and the cruelest religious perversion. I'll tell you what he's talking about. Numbers 25, 1 through 3. For example, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. And these daughters invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. What happened over time is Israel began to intermarry with the daughters of Moab. And instead of influence the Moabites to worship the true God, the Moabites influenced them to worship Baal. And the Bible says the angle of the Lord was kindred. So, so the Moabites would grow up to influence and pull the people of Israel away from God. Leviticus 18.21, God says this, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech. Molech was an Ammonite god. He was a god of the Ammonites. And they would literally sacrifice their children, burn their children in fires to sacrifice them to Molech. And God has to tell the children, people of Israel, don't do that. Can you imagine? You've got to actually tell people, don't do that. But he has to, because they're seeing people around them. That's the kind of influence the Ammonites would have on them. Eventually, in Zephaniah 2.9, God had had enough. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel... Moab shall become like Sodom, and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a land possessed by nettles and salt pits and a waste forever. The remnant of my people shall plunder them, and the survivors of my nation shall possess them. This is a sad account right here. Eventually, the Ammonites and the Moabites are destroyed, but look who they're destroyed by remnants, survivors. It finally happens after the nation of Israel has literally just crumbled because of all the influence of these Moabites and the Ammonites. So the damage has been done. And it all goes back to a man named Lot. Now, I want to have a few closing thoughts this morning. I've got about ten minutes left. A few things on this chapter. First is similarity. There's a couple of similarities in here. First is between Sodom and our culture. Listen, in Sodom, immorality and perversion were normal. That was the norm, okay? Okay. It, it was a society so sick that, like a cancer, God said, I've got I've to get it. I've got to destroy it. They're gonna, that, it's just going to grow and pervade. I've got to get rid of it. That's how bad it, it was. Yet, I'm going to tell you, Sodom has nothing over America. I, I don't see how it does. Today, we live in a culture where perversions of all types are not only proclaimed, they are advocated, and they even glamorize them. I mean, how in the world can we look at Sodom and say they were worse than us? I don't see how we can. I don't, I, rem, I don't see where else we can go, to be quite honest with you. And Sodom always stands in Scripture as a symbol of evil and depravity, but it also stands as a warning of judgment. Over and over and over and over in the Bible, it says, Remember Sodom. Look what happened to Sodom. Yet here's a scary, scary thing. As great as the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah was, the Bible makes this comparison. When Jesus sent out his 70 disciples and he said, go preach the good news. Go preach the good news into every city. He said this, if that city will not listen to you, truly I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now that's how. Do you understand how frightening a statement that is? Because they didn't have the gospel. They didn't have the good news. And he's saying if the good news is preached to a person and they hear the message and they know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and they know that it's a free gift and they know that all they have to do is repent and turn to Him and they don't do it, it'll be more tolerable, tolerable for those homosexual rapists. It'll be more tolerable for them than it will be for that person because they rejected Jesus Christ. Now, that is a scary statement. In fact, it's a terrifying statement. There's another similarity in this story. We brought it up last week. I want to bring it up one more time, and that's between Lot and us. I've said it often. I think most of us agree. We're, we're, if you look at a line, most of us are a lot closer to Lot than we are to Abraham. Yes or no? I mean, I'm a lot closer to Lot than I am anywhere near Abraham. I can't even see Abraham on my line. He's way out there somewhere, but Lot's right over there. Okay? And in fact, I just think that's in the church today, to be quite honest with you. I think the church is full of worldly believers. You see, Lot is at his best. He was weak. He was worldly. He was half-hearted Christian. See, the thing is for Lot... His faith was only a part of who he was, not all of who he was. Let me, let me. This is an example. I don't know how well y'all can see this. Think about, think about a bunch of coats in a, in, a, in a closet, and one of them's labeled Christian, one of them's labeled parent, one of them's labeled employee, one is spouse, one is consumer, one is friend. See, the fact is, most people take their Christianity off like a coat. They put it on for Sunday morning, they wear it to church, and they go back home, they take it off, and then they put on the parent coat. It's it's a part of who they are. It's not all of who they are. Everybody with me? See, that's what Lot was. Lot was a he he put it on when he needed it, but for the most time, he's out doing his business. He just it's not it's not all of who he is. The, The difference would be something like this: when when you're when you're a Christian, it's an umbrella that covers all other aspects of your life. That's a sold out, genuine, mature believer. I'm a Christian and I parent as a Christian. I consume as a Christian. I'm a husband as a Christian. I'm an employee as a Christian. I'm a friend. Everybody with me, you see the difference. It's not just a coat you put on when you need it and take it off when you when it when when practicality says you don't really need to, you know, be this Christian right now. Or is it is it an umbrella that covers every aspect of your life? Which one of those is true for you and I? The second thing I want to point out about uh, our story. The first was similarity. The second one is security. Now, this is a good one, okay? We've stressed the faults of Lot, and Lot had a lot of faults. As I said, passive, uh, pathetic, weak, half-hearted, worldly. We could go on and on. But in the end, the Bible tells us very uh, uh, clearly that he was saved. Go, you can go in your Bible if you want to look at it later, 2 Peter 2, 7 through 8. We looked at it last week. Peter calls Lot a righteous man. So he was a believer. Even in his failures, even as a worldly carnal Christian, God saved him. Now, that is a picture of the security of the saints, okay? Even the most carnal. And by the way, we ought to be get on our knees and thank God for that. Because I'm telling you, as I said, we're a lot closer to Lot than we are to Abraham. You see, the reason for Lot's security is not that he was faithful, because he's not. He's not a faithful man at all. Lot's salvation was clearly in spite of his works, not because of it, right? But isn't that the whole isn't that what salvation's all about? So what was the basis of his security? Well, in our passage, it's pointed out, remember that little two or three verses where it just stopped and said, God remembered Abraham. See, what it tells us in this whole chapter is the reason he was saved is because a faithful man, saved from the city, is because a faithful man interceded on his behalf. Listen, the same thing is true for you and I. We are saved today. If you're saved, you're saved not on a, because of your works, you're saved in spite of your works and you're saved because there is one who is interceding and praying for you, asking the Father to remember you when that day comes. And that one who's interceding for us is Jesus Christ. Romans 8:34 says this, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He is praying for us right now. Hebrews 7:25, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The same way that Abraham asked God, will you please spare Lot? The Bible tells us Jesus Christ is asking the Father to spare those that are his. What a, what a wonderful assurance for you and I. that Again, we're going to be saved not because of our works, in spite of our works. We're not going to be saved because we deserve it or we earn it. We're going to be saved because of his mercy. One of the great scriptures in the Bible, Titus 3, 4 through 6, says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. That is not why he saved you. That's not why you've been saved, you're being saved, or you're going to be saved, as the Bible talks about it. None of those. Not because of your works, but according to his own mercy. That's the reason. Why was Lot brought out of that? Because of God's mercy. See, the question becomes for you and I, even if we know God is, Jesus is praying for us, if we know that we're going to be saved in spite of our works, do we then use that as an excuse for laziness? Do, do, we, do, do we just walk in apathy? Do we even use, as some in Romans said, as an incentive to sin? You see, how we answer that question is, has far-reaching effects and repercussions for you and your family. What are you gonna do? Right? See, Lot was delivered from God's judgment, but listen, sin always has consequences. Sin, even a worldly believer, when they sin, there's always consequences. God will allow those consequences to play out. Just because you're a believer, he doesn't sit there with a whiteout, out, and when you sin, he wipes it out, and sins whites out all the consequences, that's not the way it works. You, there are repercussions in this life and for generations to come. I've, I know some people that work out at the schools, and, and they'll often tell me about some of the kids that come in, and some of the just, be honest with you, horrific, horrific problems. And I'm going to tell you what, you could start at that. And I feel so bad for these children, because in a lot of senses, it's not their fault. You take that same child, and you put them in a loving family, and they turn out completely different. But I can tell you this, you can trace it back to this parent, to this parent, and it goes right back down the line to some father. See, sin has repercussions, not just for you, but for your children and your great-grandchildren, and your great, it can just carry right on down the line. It matters. It matters. The third thing that I, we talked about similarity, we talked quickly about Uh, um, security, let's talk real fast about separation. The the Christian doctrine of separation, you have to strike a balance between two extremes. There's two extremes in separation. One, people say, well, you just got to identify with the world. Just get out there in the world, live in the world, identify with the world, act like the world, be like the world if you want to win the world. The other extreme says, no, get away from the world. Go live in a cave somewhere. Monasticism, right? You've got these you know, monks that just go live up in the mountains and get away from everything. Now, let me tell you, Lot tried both. He tried a city and he tried a cave. And neither one of them worked because the problem is not in the city and the problem is not in the cave. The problem is in you. It's your heart and you just take it with you. See, we cannot become one with the world, but we, neither are we to flee from it. The proper balance is always found in Abraham. Abraham. The Bible tells us Abraham lived in this life as a stranger and a pilgrim. The New Testament puts it this way. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. In other words, we're going through this life. We, we have to have houses and cars and jobs, and we do all this, but we're just passing through. We know that. We've got, a, we've got a goal that we're heading to. This is just temporary. See, that's the attitude that we have to have in the world, but not of the world, as as Abraham said, a stranger and a pilgrim. Next week, we're going to turn to chapter 20. If you've got a persistent sin in your life, if you've got a sin that you've had for years and you just can't beat it, you think, man, you know, I'm, I'm over it. How many, I won't ask you how many, because I'm telling you, we all got it. We all got these things that just nag at us, and we think we've beat it for a while, and then we'll kind of forget about it, and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Abraham had the same thing. He had a persistent sin in his life, and we'll see that next week in chapter uh, 20. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, chapter 19 of Genesis. It is a, uh, in some ways, it is a, it's not a good chapter. It's not full of a lot of good news. There's a lot of bad stuff that happened, a lot of uh, repercussions and, and effects of sin. But Lord, I thank you for it because it's put there, as, as, as Paul said in Romans, it's put there for a reason, and that is for us to learn from. So if there's worldliness in us, if there's passivity in us, if there's weakness in us, God, use this to, to help us wake up today to see that that stuff is always going to come to fruition if we let it. That, like that dam, if we just let that thing grow and we don't fix it, if we don't address it. There's coming a payday, so Lord help us if we're if 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 any of us in, in this room today struggle like Lot, help us learn from his mistakes and not from our own life experiences. Father, we pray today uh, for our our uh, our pastor. We pray for our service, and we just Lord ask you Lord as we always do. If there's anyone that comes into this room that doesn't know you as I do, I pray this day God you'd open their eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all.